Hug somebody you waiting to see. Say, I'm glad to see you tonight. Amen. Glad to see you tonight. Well, here we are starting a new new year. And so once again, we're excited to begin it. And so once again, a few th things that were changing uh, in the context of, of our teaching. And when I began a few years ago, we started TNT. Uh, and when I first got here 12 years ago, moved Bible study from Wednesday to Thursday. And it was then at that time, Thursday noon and night teaching. Then God expanded us and we got Tab West and it, Tuesday night. So then it was Tuesday night and Thursday noon and night teaching. This began to be so long. So we understand that as growth happens, we must also get used to certain verbiage. So we're changing the verbiage. There is no longer TNT. What we're doing now is... It's kind of putting into play what we do with our um, Bible study. So my personal Bible study, I teach um, January, February, September, October, about a total of about 16 weeks out of the year. My personal pastor Bible study will be cross-training with PG. Okay, and I will, uh, we'll start that, and that's what we're starting tonight. So that has been my personal Bible study that I'll share, and I hope that y'all come out and share Others, when we have it during the week, and we have multiple, multiple times, it'll be midweek service, and we'll be having uh, just targeted Bible studies that we do. Uh, you know how our calendar goes. If it's new to you, uh, new to our discipleship calendar, you'll see that uh, in March, we have March Gladness Revival. We get to April, it's, it's anniversary time. May, we spend a lot of time dealing with family, and that's the whole time that we do. June, July, and August, we're primarily off as we're on sabbatical from discipleship, and then also from a corporate body. You know, we are doing our circles of growth. And then back September, October, November's fall fire revival. And then guess what? We're in December. So that is the normal calendar of how we kind of navigate uh, the teaching program for the corporate body. But also we institute this year circles of growth. How many of you getting involved in circles of growth? I hope that you are. Raise your hand. At least make me feel good. Lie if you need to in the sanctuary. Um, but that's going to become the major emphasis of, of, our, of our program uh, discipleship at our church. And we're really going to focus and get everybody into our, into our um, circles of growth, which is our form of small groups, and it's going to really be impactful. So I hope that you would do that. Um, we have some great things lined up. Uh, just experiment. I promise you it'll be better because one of the things we really want to push one another is the power in learning how to do life together. And uh, I think that's significant. And I'll get into that a little bit tonight. Hopefully, I will shame you enough that you'll say, I got to get into a circle of growth in order to grow. All right? So, so that's the aim. So we're starting the fresh. We're starting a year. So I hope that you will be with us the next eight weeks. Uh, have a wonderful series. We're starting tonight entitled Bearing Fruit, Becoming a Fruitful Disciple. And uh, one of the things that is, is important for us, uh, especially over the time that we have as we're growing, and so corporately we've declared this is the year to be more fruitful. And I believe that. I believe that's not just a corporate understanding for us, but also is an uh, individual understanding. How many of you say this year I want to be more fruitful? You really, and what that looks like. And I hope that I kind of explained that fruit uh, is tantamount and parallel to good works. Uh, anything, attitude, uh, mindset, dream, vision that glorifies God. That is being fruitful in your life. And I pray that you begin to operate in that way. And I pray that each of us uh, will try our best to talk about being fruitful when it comes to the things of God. So for the next eight weeks, my whole aim is to really try to, in a didactic way, try to unpack something. So I'm going to talk about discipleship. We're going to talk about cost of discipleship. What does it mean to, to walk with Jesus? And, you know, one of the main things I'm going to deal with, I'm excited about, and main tenets of being fruitful is most of us don't understand there's power in obedience. 
And, and most of us don't even understand how significant obedience is for our lives. Just do what God says do, right? I think we overcomplicate some things sometimes, and, and I think that's uh, what we miss. But let me give you some foundational stuff tonight and share some things. So tonight's main theme, hope you got your um, thing. Also, I'm trying to change up the format a little bit. Staff gets on me all the time uh, because my teaching style does not always lend for discussion. Um, I'm not sure why y'all don't ask a lot of questions. I'm not sure. Maybe I talk uh, a lot. I'm not sure. So I'm going to try to focus in a lot of these sessions to give you time to discuss. Uh, so at the end of my teaching, we're going to at least have some moments uh, to share that you can talk with somebody. So if you just sat next to somebody you don't like or don't want to talk to, shame on you. You're going to talk to them anyway tonight. All right. So our chief aim is to really try to start that discussion. Um, so we're going to, I'm going to try hard to finish in enough time so that you can share and discuss that with those who are on your pew. And uh, hopefully you'll continue the conversation as we go forward. All right. Tonight, the, the main focus is I want to talk about this whole notion of the goal of evangelism. That is the, the, the overarching thing we're going to talk about tonight is the goal of evangelism. And, and I start with this, and it's a thought, and it was raised in my study, and I would, I would raise it corporately and also raise it individually tonight. What would happen if God saw fit to just eradicate or to erase Tabernacle Baptist Church? Would we be missed? Would the community miss us? Um, would the kingdom miss us? Those are some hard questions to think about, and not just from a corporate standpoint, but let's say God decided to eradicate you and say, lift you, and would you be missed? Have you made such an impact on people's lives that you would be missed? And that's a heavy question to think about because it begins to make us wonder, am I as impactful, influential as I think I am? Because all of us think we're important. I hope you would. I mean, I hope that you have a healthy uh, self-awareness of yourself. Um, but I think that when it comes to kingdom and making an impact, if we were no longer here, would we be missed? So that's what I'm, you know, kind of thinking through and thinking through that. So let's get into this tonight. Let's share some things tonight. I want you to hear my heart as we begin this series on bearing fruit, all right? Number one, in order for an organization to be productive and effective in the manifestation of its mission... The purpose must be fully understood by its members and staff. Once again, let me read that, and you still have those on the screen. Hopefully, you can see them. In order for an organization to be productive and effective in the manifestation of its mission, the purpose must be fully understood by its members and staff. And that's just what I'm raising tonight is that most of us, you know, when it comes to especially church, but with anything, many of us just sign up for stuff and don't really know what we're signing up for. Like we have such a desire and need to belong that we don't understand that there ought to be some rules, some accountability things that come with belonging. That whenever you join something, whenever you're a part of something, it is our responsibility to make sure that you know why am I a part of it and what does this organization institution have to offer when I pledged to make a sci-fi it wasn't just because I was pledging because I wanted to wear purple and gold and hop at the parties there was something else I had to make sure I was a part of that I really saw was something the four cardinal principles for me really spoke to me manhood scholarship uplifting other things and so I understood what I was joining and have you ever joined something and when you got in you were like you know what I don't know if I really want to be a part of this and that's because you didn't take the time to fully understand what you were participating in and becoming a part of. 
Rick Warren, who wrote that book, Purpose Driven Life, and also is pastor of one of the fastest growing churches in the history of America. He says this, if you want to build a healthy, strong, and growing church, you must spend time laying a solid foundation. That's important. That's powerful. How is that done when we talk about it from the context of church, when we talk about it? And that's going to be uh, the main thing we're going to kind of look at tonight. This is done by clarifying in the minds of everyone involved exactly why the church exists and what it is supposed to be. If I was to hand the microphone out to people tonight, many of you would come up with your own ideas about what the church should do, right? I hear it on one hand, we have social justice, and yes, that's important. We need to stand up for social causes, absolutely, I hear you. There's others who say it needs to be about met needs or, uh, or felt needs, that the church should be about meeting the needs of its community. There'll be others who say, no, the church is about worship, and we ought to just come and worship. And there's others who say, no, we ought to just come so we can just learn to hear about Jesus. And most of us, if we say it, that all sounds great, and I'm not saying that you're wrong, and I think that what we do with those ought to be offshoots of what should be the intentionality of what the church should be about. But I also want to suggest that the church has a purpose beyond our own preference. And that's what the question in number two is raising. What is the purpose of the church? This church, this word, you know, we throw it around, but do we understand the significance of what it means? We get that word church, the ecclesia. In the Greek, it's the ecclesia. It's the called out from. It's, it's what we read about Matthew chapter 16. It's when Jesus is with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi, and he asks them a pertinent question. He's, first of all, he says, listen, who do people say that I am, right? And they go on this whole diatribe. Some say you're Jeremiah. That's cool, but that's not right. Some say you're Elias. He said, that's cool, but that's not right. Then he asks him a question. Now, who do you say that I am? And they were just picking around. Then all of a sudden, Peter raised his hand. Listen, you're the son of God. He said, go star, Peter. You got it. And then he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. First time we hear the word church in the Gospels, Jesus says church. Now, when he says Ecclesia called out, he was not talking about brick and mortar. He was talking about people. He was talking about folk who are built upon one singular foundation. And that foundation is built upon this one singular fact. Jesus is the son of God. That begins, it, that's the building block. Don't get it twisted. That the church is built upon the singular idea and the singular fact that Jesus is the Son of God. So what does that mean to be the called out? It means in assembly, we are persons, we're selected, we're chosen, right? We, we have been set apart. That's what the church is. The church is a set apart. You are the ones who've been called out based upon the singular fact of being this understanding of who Jesus Christ is. But with that being said, we oftentimes have missed what that means because there's a wonderful book by uh, W. Oscar Thompson Jr. He writes a book entitled Concentric Circles of Concerns. And he made this critique of the church. He says, we are good at teaching and we're good at listening. We're good at baptizing. But somehow we've lost our central thing. We're not very good at making disciples as we are going. In essence, what he says is that we get into the real reality of that we put on great shows, but we're not producing disciples. And part of the challenge why we're not producing disciples is because we think that producing disciples is the pastor's job. When producing disciples was never predicated to be a professional ministry, creating disciples and producing disciples is what all of us are called to do. And how do you know that? Well, it's based upon the words that Jesus gave 
when he talked about the one singular mission of the church. And it's characterized in what we read in Matthew 28. It's what is called the Great Commission. The Great Commission characterizes the life of the church. That in essence, the Great Commission, this word that Jesus gives, is the singular defining thing that the church ought to be about. Let me go and tell you the truth tonight. The church's mission is to make disciples for Jesus, and that in itself is an awesome responsibility. I'm not going to minimize any of your other affiliations. I'm not going to minimize any of other organizations, and they are wonderful. I'm on some great boards, but there is no other entity or institution that has the great mandate that the church has. The church has the one singular role of making disciples for Jesus Christ. No other entity can make that claim. That's what makes the church special. That that's what makes the church powerful. It's not predicated on how many people join our church. It's not predicated on how large our building is, how big our budget is. All those things are wonderful when you think about it. But in the essence, they pale in comparison because no matter what the size of the church is, no matter what the denomination of the church is, every church has the awesome responsibility to make disciples. Let me say that again. God is not judging us if we got the best choir this side of heaven. God don't give us extra points because we got this number of pews, this number of cushion. That sounds great to us, and we judge that stuff. But what the Lord judges, were you making disciples? Were you serious about growth and maturity? Where were you really trying to make a difference to be fishers of men? That's why Matthew 28 Verses 18b through 20 is one of the most powerful passages for the church because it is where Jesus gives the Great Commission. Listen to what Jesus says and what he calls the Great Commission. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's going to come a time y'all going to learn how to just shout over scripture. I know that ain't shout nobody else. But I, this is the third Bible study I done did this week. And every time I get to this last verse, my soul gets happy. Because what he literally tells the church, if you do your job, here's what gives you power. I'm going to be with you. Always. Woo. Every time I read it, it just puts chills in my spine. Because it's an amazing reassurance to us that Jesus said, listen, this is going to be hard work. It's not easy. Discipleship is going to be hard. You're going to get ridiculed. It's going to cause some tension. But here's the good news. I'm with you. Y'all going to have some internal fighting. You're going to have some people that want to do it this way. Other people want to do it that way. But listen, I'm with you. And it gives the church that final blessed assurance that at the end of the day, we got something no one else can claim. We got a risen Savior. And that in itself is what gives us the impetus to understand that we have responsibility to make sure we do it. That's why when he gives the Great Commission, these instructions provide the basis for the primary mission of the church. And if we were to sum that up, what he simply says is, I need everyone in the church to make sure they understand everyone's job is to do evangelism. 
Now we get that. I know we talk about evangelism. We got spot and, and, and we sign up for evangelistic things. We do revival for evangelism. But evangelism is so much more than a service. It's so much more than a revival. It's so much more than you just walking down the street and knocking on someone's door and putting a little card in their door frame. No, evangelism is an active thing about making sure that you try to create in the life, in your life as you're living, an opportunity to at the people you meet to create an opportunity for them to meet Jesus Christ. That's why the objective of the Great Commission is simply evangelism. Someone say evangelism. Matter of fact, let me tell you how strong evangelism is. The relationship of evangelism to the mission is like the heart is to the body. You know how important the heart is to your body? Heart does a couple of things. Matter of fact, one area, it is the life force of your body. It pushes blood throughout your body. It is also the seat of your emotions. And most people, when we talk about it from a literary standpoint, we talk about the heart. The heart is always the place of emotions, of our feelings. It's the intensity of our passion. Because I could cut your hand off, but you can still live. Let your heart start messing up. Let your heart stop pumping. You won't live. Why? Because the heart is the life force of the body. And the same way the heart is for the body... The same way evangelism is for the church. Evangelism is what pushes life throughout the entire body. It is the evangelism that gives us the passion. Because when you are a church that gets serious about reaching others for Christ, you start celebrating their lives. You start getting excited about seeing them grow and seeing them develop. It becomes to be the mechanism that begins to push the passion of the church. As great as the worship is, as great as we want the preaching to be, and all those things are wonderful, none of that will matter if we're not serious about making disciples and evangelizing. So what does that mean? How serious is it? And oftentimes this becomes a problem because most of us don't realize that when we cease to be serious about evangelism, guess what? We become inwardly focused instead of outwardly focused. That's what Howard A. Snyder in his book, Radical Renewal, The Problem of the Wineskins Today, he knows this. He says, a church which is not evangelizing becomes ingrown and self-centered. Now, I'm a church kid. Y'all know my story. I grew up in church, 39 years of living. I know church. And I will admit to you, I've been places, and I've been a part of some churches, and I've preached at churches, and I've, I've served with churches that didn't want to grow. Because for most people, growth is scary. I hear some of the most outlandish things about people. And most oftentimes, people don't want growth because they don't want new people. Because new people is threats to some people. And when you don't want your church to grow, what you're saying is, I'd rather be about me than be about God. You have put your preference over God's purpose. Now, growth is relative. Understand, not every church is meant to be a mega church. I'm never saying that. But we all should be serious about making sure that we're making disciples. Especially when we look at the world today, and there's so many people. The, the field for getting people is still open. Because the mission for the church is to make sure that we do everything we can until Jesus comes back to reach as many people as possible. And how often do we miss it? How often do we oftentimes make church about us? I know you ain't going to say it out loud, but how many of us make it about us? Ooh, don't let somebody sit in your seat. 
right? Or, ooh, don't let somebody become in, and now you ain't the smartest person in your ministry. We oftentimes don't even think through it, but oftentimes our own preference trumps God's purpose. Let me tell you how serious evangelism is. Evangelistic fruitfulness enlivens both of the church's worship and its community life. Why? Because the church was made to grow and to reproduce itself. If you, any parent in here, you had a child and all of a sudden that child just wasn't growing, you wouldn't be like, oh, that's so cute. You take that child to the doctor. Why? Because the child is meant to grow. And that's why the church is so unique. It's not an organization. It's an organism. Which means it was created to grow. And when it's not growing, something is wrong. For church wants to continue to be vibrant and alive, evangelism must be its primary concern. And a good understanding of the meaning of evangelism must be obtained. In other words, we have to make sure, that's why moments like this, coming to Bible study, growing in it, reading our Bible, making sure that we understand the importance of it, is what gives us the strong foundation to recognize the seriousness for which Christ takes evangelism in the church. Matter of fact, that word evangelism, we get the word, is in the Greek euglion, which is E-U-G-G. E-L-I-O-N, E-U-G-G-E-L-I-O-N. It, it simply means gospel or good news. For those Bible buffs in the house, that word is used 77 times in the New Testament. That evangelism simply is a telling, a showing, a witnessing of the good news, the gospel story. And there is no greater story as a believer than the gospel story. You do know what the gospel story is. Is that he was crucified, buried, three days later rose again from the dead, ascended on high with the Father, and he is coming back again. The greatest story in the history of humanity is the gospel, the good news. And here's why some of us struggle is because you can't share what you don't know. And oftentimes what makes evangelism so powerful is when I learn how to infuse the good story with my own story. That's why I can't wait as we continue this series to talk about the seriousness of being a disciple is you got to have your own testimony. Because the most powerful witness to the work of Jesus Christ the world will ever see is not hearing me preach. It's not listening to some antiquated story that they oftentimes have a hard time believing, but it's seeing a changed life and a witness of someone who understands I've seen the Lord face to face. I've seen what he's done in my life, and this is how serious it was for me. That good news is so important. So what does it mean, this Great Commission? Let's go back and unpack it, because I, I want you to understand the significance of what he was trying to convey in the, in the Great Commission. When you read it, remember we talked about it, he says, Go ye therefore, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. When you hear the Great Command, the Great Commission, what words jump out to you? What's the word that you just hear, and it just every time you hear it, it just gets you energized? Go. Do you say go? Who says go? Say, I hear go every time, Pastor. Go. And I'm with you. The first one is the first imperative out of his mouth, it's the first instruction. And I'll be honest with you, as a church leader, as great as the word is, it is a frustrating word. Because you know how we operate. We want the Lord to give us all kind of, give me specifics, Jesus. <laughs> I need you to tell me how to go. Because we get confused. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm amazed. That a lot of times we miss it. And one of the things that I'm grateful for is that most of us don't understand is that a lot of times the commands of God is never straightforward. 
And if you got to keep getting explanations and keep getting definitions and you need the Lord to keep carving stuff out, you in for a long conversation with the Lord. Because he'll give you like, like stuff to make you figure it out. Lord, I want to do better. What I need to do? Love. <laughs> right? So, uh, I want to grow in my, in my life. How, what do I do? Give. Right? Tell the church, I want y'all to be the best church you can be. What do we do, Jesus? Go. So he does this stuff, and oftentimes, and I'll be honest with you, as frustrating as it is on one hand, I'm grateful on the other hand, because your go is not my go. And your goal is not my goal. And your love is not my love. He gives it up for each individual. You've got to, end, you've got to bring it to yourself and figure out how can I manifest this, taking this word, taking this command, and make it good. That's why I appreciate what God does. He says every church ought to go. Now how you go is on you. But in it, as much as I think go is powerful, go is not the most significant word in his command. There were literally three ones he said that really stick out to me. Go, baptize, and teach. And I will submit to you that the word teach, as great as go is, great as baptize is, and those who understand what baptism is, so go is the action, baptizing is the access, because in antiquity, in those days, you could not be a part of the community without being baptized. It was an outward sign of what had already happened on the inside. Baptism was significant because without baptism, you did not have access. So go, action, baptize, access. But the word teach is the strongest word out of what Jesus is saying. Because he's saying, I want you to go. That's the action. I need you to baptize. Get them in. But the most important process the church will ever do is to teach. Because what's the point of you going and baptizing if people stay in the same? What's the point of you having all this passion and lives ain't being changed and folks still the same that they are. What I really want you to spend your time on, what you really ought to spend your emphasis on. Yes, I want you to have the passion to go. Yes, I need you to baptize. But you need to be serious about teaching them. That word teach simply means to help others learn how to be a disciple. The word teach is where we get the derivative of that word disciple. And I'm going to put that a little further. In other words, the three participles in the passage are this going, baptizing, and teaching. And just like we said, if discipleship is the heart of evangelism, then learning is the heart of discipleship. Let me say that again. You need to write that on your margins. If discipleship is the heart of evangelism, if, if, if that is what he wants us to do, the ultimate aim, if I'm going to tell the good news so that we can become disciples, then learning is the heart of discipleship. In other words, you can't tell me you're a disciple if you don't want to learn. And one of the challenges that we have is that most of us are not in a posture or position to be teachable. We learn a few verses, line a few hymns, you do a couple good deeds, and now you're the greatest disciple the world has ever seen. But a disciple is always in the posture of learning. So what is a disciple? What is a disciple? What is a disciple? When you hear that word, what does disciple mean to you? Someone throw it out. What's a disciple? Student. 
What else? Follower. Servant. All of them are good. Yes. Constantly growing. Okay. Well, you was on it. I think, in essence, from a biblical standpoint, and all what y'all said was right, but you was on it. A disciple means a special student. A disciple is a special student who seeks to study a particular teacher in great depth and therefore arranges his or her life to make such study possible. To give you the closest thing I can think of, an apprentice, someone who has a mentor, something that they want to be like, but it's, it's not just you wanting to be like them from afar, you change your whole life to learn from them face to face, hand to hand. Like if you ever think about it, the disciples, their narrative is so interesting to me because when we talk about this, and I'll get into this later in, in the series, but man, do we really understand what they left to follow Jesus? Like most of us probably don't even think about it, but Dr. Brown, there's a narrative, there's a miracle where Jesus heals the mother-in-law of Peter. Now, for him to have a mother-in-law, that must mean that Peter is married. But you'll never hear in the Gospels, Peter hanging out with his wife, with Jesus. Can you imagine the conversation? Peter like, yeah, um, check this. Me and the boys are going to roll with Jesus. We got some, some, some lives to change. Oh, yeah, we're just going to the upper room tonight. Just upper room. We at the upper room. Yeah, we're going to have some dinner at the upper room. I'll see you at some point. I'm not sure when I'm coming home, but I'm hanging out with Jesus. I mean, you ever think about it? I think about the Bible like that. I be, I'm just thinking. So really, honestly, I think sometimes we don't understand that sacrifice is a major part of discipleship. Jesus said, man, you want to be my disciple? He said, you got to deny yourself. Take up your cross, follow me. Like, we, we hear that, but man, boy, I can't wait to teach that cost of discipleship. Do you realize what Jesus says it takes to follow him? Deny you. Most of us will be like, you know what, I'm good, Jesus. I like me, so I don't know. Because <laughs> basically what he was saying is you can't, be, you can't have you and follow me at the same time. And most of us can't get past the first requirement of discipleship. You can't deny you. And then after I deny you, which should be bad enough, he says, take up a cross. Now, for most of us, we wish Jesus would say, take up a ladder, because for us, we want, a, we want promotion. We want, we want next level. That's what we say. Jesus said, no, after you deny yourself, the next level of discipleship is take up the cross, the most horrific, debilitating, debasing form of crucifixion or a punishment ever known to humanity that's what it's like to follow me then after you deny yourself take up a cross then you can come hold, roll with me that's going to be a fun series I hope y'all show up that night <laughs> so what does that mean what does that mean to be this disciple so if we take it further I can agree with the, I'm just the great commission to make disciples of Jesus but in essence let me take it further it's not just so you will follow him but Jesus wants you to follow him to the point where you become a functioning and productive human being because you know as you progress toward adulthood you've got to grow and all of us in here pastor included we have got to be comfortable 
to know that God's chief aim for us is he never wants you to feel like you've arrived. He wants you to struggle because in the struggle, you begin to understand, I need to grow. Heard this quote. I loved it. It said this, every Christian is a disciple in progress who participates in a process from which no one graduates. Let me say it again. Every Christian is a disciple in progress who participates in a process from which no one graduates. Let me go ahead and tell you, none of us, while we're here on earth, will ever be able to cross the, the um, stage of Discipleship University and have Jesus give us a graduate degree and tell us you graduated because we're, gonna, we're never graduate from discipleship. But you still got to take classes. You in that extended program. Anybody know about that extended program? You're just going to be a lifelong learner. You're never going to get a degree in discipleship. None of us are ever going to be to the point where we can say, I got it, Jesus. I've accomplished everything. I am chief disciple. No. Here's another class you need to take. Here's another something you need to grow in. And that is the most frustrating for all of us because what makes discipleship hard is that we like to think we've accomplished something. And it's nothing more humbling to realize I ain't all that. I still got to grow and I still got to, to mature. And yes, I got this part, but then the Lord says, yeah, but let's look at the other parts you're not so good at. Okay, am I in here by myself? I mean, I mean everybody else... They see your good parts, but how many of us know we got some areas that we still need to be sharpened, matured, and to grow in? That's why Bill Hall, he makes this statement. He says, disciple-making process of Jesus includes introducing people to Christ, building them up in faith, and sending them in the harvest field. He gives a three-step process of discipleship for every church. That every church should be concerned about delivering people, developing people, and deploying people. He said every church, when it comes to discipleship, should be serious about delivering people. How can we get people saved? Developing people. How can we help people grow? And deploying people. How can we get people to serve? That that should be the trajectory of every church program. How it gets manifested is on that church. But the church ought to be considered about delivering, developing, and deploying. And you can tell when you become a church that is serious about discipleship. Is when they see disciples of Jesus reaching the point of maturity to bear fruit. That the church will experience a wonderful euphoric sensation that leads to celebrating and rejoicing. Can I tell you why I'm pushing us to move into this whole concept of small groups? And let me tell you because when you are a church that's serious about discipleship. You start to celebrate the growth in other people's lives. But let me tell you why we can't celebrate the growth in people's lives. Because we don't know people. So if you don't know them and know how far they've grown, you can't celebrate them. Y'all ain't going to like me tonight. That's why I'm pushing us to get involved in small groups. I'm pushing us to be serious about forming this cornea and fellowship. Why? Because there is something powerful when someone comes up to you and say, man, listen, I don't see how you to mature. And man, that thing blesses me to see how Jesus made a difference in your life. But I can't celebrate in you what I don't know. 
That's why this walk is so important. It's so significant that it is never meant to walk by yourself. You need somebody egging you on. Because I don't know about you. you. You can keep looking yourself in the mirror, but sometimes you don't know how well you progress until someone else shows you the progress you've made. Oh, man, I remember last year if that same situation would have happened. Oh, you would have said this and said that, but look at you now. That's growth. That's maturity. And that's something worth celebrating. And here's the reality. It's almost like someone on a diet, right? Someone that's working out, right? So you work out for a little while, but if people don't know you're working out, you kind of get bored and you get, you get a little tired of the process. But if somebody said, ooh, you're looking good. What you been doing? What you been eating? What gym you go to? You start to feel good about yourself. Guess what? You're going to go back and do some more work. You're going to start eating better. Why? Because there's something about encouragement. I wish I had a witness. It's something about when someone says they acknowledge what you have done well, and they'll be like, you know what? I just want you to know I've been watching you, and I'm so proud of you. I'm so grateful for what you've been doing. And there's something about that encouragement that makes you say, you know what? I can do better. When the church begins to celebrate that, not celebrating how wonderful the worship was and how great the singer was and all that's wonderful, but man, when we can sincerely and authentically and genuinely look at one another and say, listen, I see how you've been growing. Ooh, you, now you used to cuss like a sailor. And now you only cuss twice a week. Look at God. Won't he do it? Ain't he good, right? You know? And that may not be big to other people, but some of us, if you can get your cussing down to two times a week, the Lord is surely in the blessing business. Right? But we can't celebrate what we don't know. We can't celebrate what we don't know. Here's the truth. I heard this quote, and I think it's beautiful. Education is something you get when your father or mother sends you to college, but it isn't complete until you send your son or daughter there. In other words, you realize as the rite of passage, if it, has, if it was good to me, I believe it ought to be good to someone else. See, that's what ought to spur us in discipleship is when you had a real encounter with Jesus. I'm not talking about no fake, you just play pimping. I'm talking about a real serious encounter with Jesus and your life has been changed. You want to see other people and, and enjoy that. If you really had a moment where the Lord just did some stuff in your life, you want to see people be changed. Because if it was good to you, see, see, that's why I can tell. I've been around here 12 years in Augusta. One thing I can realize about Augusta people, um, I know when y'all like new restaurants. Because y'all will go pack it out, put line around the store. Don't get a new restaurant. Oh, we can't wait to have a new restaurant. We go all the time. We put Yelp reviews up because we just go wherever's new, we go to it. And I'd be thinking to myself, ain't nothing wrong with a good restaurant, please. It's great. But I wish we could be that, show that same enthusiasm when it comes to talking about the one you said has been better to you than you could be to yourself. The one you said was a doctor in a sick room. The one you said was a lawyer in the courtroom, right? You said was a bridge over troubled water. You said was a bomb in Gilead. You said, I wish I had some help. And oftentimes what we miss is the significance of realizing is that when we are disciples of Jesus, we bear fruit, but we don't become mature believers until we help others bear fruit. And when you take responsibility and say, you know what? 
this walk, I want to see you walk. I want to see you be better. I want to see you grow. And that doesn't happen until you get serious about understanding what evangelism is. John 15, 16 says this. Let me give you this. If you did not choose me, but I chose you, I appointed you to go and produce fruit, and that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. For a few moments, as we get ready to kind of go into the discussion portion of tonight's lesson, I have three questions, and they're on your thing. I want you all to kind of group up where you are, and I want you to spend some time kind of collaborating and discussing uh, some of the, the, the questions that's kind of been raised in our thought for tonight. So for a few minutes, I want you in your groups, I'll find your groups, make your groups. I want you to discuss, first of all, how do we live out the purpose of the church as one in the congregation? If I'm realizing the purpose of the church is evangelism, the purpose of the church is making disciples, how can you individually live that out in the congregation? All right, for a few moments, I want you to group up, talk to some people next to you, left and right. If you ain't want to talk to nobody, you shouldn't have sat next to them on the road. So this is your fault. Find some people to discuss, find some people to talk to, and um, spend a few minutes doing that. All right, for the first one, who, who, who got some good stuff that you just quickly throw them out um, when it comes to talking about uh, living out the purpose of the church? Anyone got some? Just throw them out at me. How can you do it individually? How can each one of us? Just throw me some stuff. Let others see Christ through us. What else? Have a daily witness. Okay. Have a passion. Have a passion. I hear that one. Encouraging. That's a good one. Who else? Sharing testimony. Okay. And, and once again, we're throwing out stuff, and I think that all of you are on the right path. I think the real essence of what I wanted to make, get across in the question was that we realize all of us have a responsibility. That one of the main things I'm hoping, that, and you, you think through these, and you're never going to be exhaustive through all these, uh, our time of sharing. But even when you're going home, just think about it. What, what makes it powerful is when you take ownership of the purpose. And because the purpose of the church, check this out, guys, does not end just because we say the benediction. Matter of fact, I couldn't make the argument that the purpose begins at the benediction. Because that's when we have, in essence, the real opportunity to be the church. All right? For the last few minutes, I want y'all to go over the, the last two questions I think we put up there. Um, that one is evangelism. Y'all probably already went to it, didn't you? Y'all already. <laughs> All right, cool. But is evangelism everyone's responsibility? That's a yes, right? But how you, how you use it is through your gift. How many know your own spiritual gifts? How many know your gifts? How many don't know your gifts? Okay. If you don't, have you taken the assessment? There's a couple of assessments. You can Google online. Um, and don't be intimidated. I think, you know, one of the things is you got to figure out how can I operate through my gift because your gift is given for the edification of the body. So it's imperative. I always tell people, and one of the things we're trying to do a better job of, that's why I always try to push people, you know, when you join or whatever, make sure that's your own thing to figure out what my gift is. You know, you got to kind of figure that out on, on, on your own. Most of us want people to tell us what our gifts are. No, 
there's gifts assessment to help it and to kind of get that. And once you get that gift, now you start honing and developing that. But then also, how can I better live out the Great Commission in my life? So a few moments as we kind of conclude, I'll give you about two or three minutes. Kind of talk about what the Great Commission looks like in your life. So if you already went ahead, then just talk again for two or three more minutes. I'm trying. I'm trying this discussion thing. They staff been pushing me. They say, Pastor, people want to talk in Bible study. So I'm letting y'all talk. Okay, I'm trying. I'm trying hard. So y'all, so just talk. You got two or three minutes to talk and talk about. All right. Who got something profound that your group said? I got any profound? Yes. Better relationship with God. I would push y'all, but we ain't got time tonight. But yes. Okay. Being fruitful. Y'all so spiritual. Okay. <laughs> yes. Recognizing our distractions. Okay. 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 You, 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 ain't, you ain't with the fruitful, you trying to add something up. Genuine and real. Yeah. Yeah. talking about I know how to eat healthy and I try to sell you this this machine that's supposed to keep you healthy but I'm 600 pounds would you buy the machine why because no matter how great the machine is the greatest example of it is you and oftentimes we're trying to sell a product and people looking at us like, man, I see you and you don't seem like <laughs> you benefited greatly from it. Right, so, so we say stuff like, yeah, the Lord is welcoming, but are you welcoming? You know, so, and I, that's why I push you. I think it's really interesting. I always have these introspective kind of conversations. And I always be like, you know, we got the greatest thing known to humanity, but oftentimes the greatest barrier to other people receiving him is us. 
So a lot of it, and I want you to really think about this, and this probably just think through. Maybe this is your homework, and I'm, I'm going to close out. How can I be a better witness for Jesus? Because people connect with you to connect to him. And I think that's really something to really kind of ponder and think through. And, um, and if there's one area I think we've fallen short in is that we have not always been the best salespeople for Jesus. And, um, and that's something I think we can, we can all work on. That's part of the process, the growth, discipleship things. All right. Father, we love you. We thank you. We bless you. As we come to another moment to grow, we thank you for the opportunity to once again be challenged, to be stretched. We want to be fruitful disciples. So thank you for our onset and our Genesis conversation tonight. Uh, I hope it has sparked conversation. Thank you for the dialogue and discussion that we've shared with one another and the continuing conversation that this will take us through because we understand um, that these are things we want to meditate on. How can we be better in it and um, really try to, try to grow? Uh, our desire, God, is we want to be more like you. And so, Lord, help us to get comfortable to know we'll never fully get there. But let us learn how to embrace the process. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Once you get, prepare your hearts to give tonight as our officers get in place. A couple announcements I want to share. All right, how many of y'all still faithful to the fast? It's only been four days, so I hope that you're still hanging in there. Ain't nobody fell out yet? You ain't. How many of y'all done cheated? Be real, you're in the church. See what had happened was. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, you're going to be tempted. Because y'all know every time you start fasting, that's when all the food on TV start looking good. That devil sign on Washington Road called Krispy Kreme start getting brighter. And that's when the people in your office start bringing the goodies in to work talking about. Yeah, you're going to get tested. So I hope that you, I hope that you think through it. So continue to stay committed. Listen up, listen up real quickly. There's some people who say, ask, we did build in Sabbaths. Um, you know, we did give off for Sundays if that was your option. But others, if not, you know, we kind of tailor it for, for yourself. Uh, we gave you some options, but it's really on you. Uh, the real intent, I hope that you spend time. The most important part of this brochure to me is not the fasting options, but it really is the prayer focus. And I hope that you notice that on it. And I hope that you've been diligent about uh, those things that we're asking corporately that we pray together for. So regardless of what your fasting options may be, to me, the most significant part of this is our prayer focus. All right. Uh, and also, I'm excited for this weekend for our leaders. And so, all of our leaders hope that you have RSVP'd uh, so that we can come out and kick it on tomorrow and Saturday, uh, starting at 7 o'clock, Croc Center. It's only for leaders. And if you have rsvp let me say that again. It's only for leaders. Uh, come on out and share with us. I'm excited to share some things in my heart. And we've got some wonderful things for all of our leaders. We're going to come back and engage and in charge for all that God is doing. Um, I'm going to say this now because it's been on my heart all week. And I may have to say it again on Sunday, um, so hopefully people don't be offended, but I got to say it. Um, now, one of the chief aims in worship is we are very serious about creating distraction-free environments. Um, because I think that the worship center, the worship experience is a learning environment. I preached a series a couple years ago talking about church etiquette, and I feel like I got to keep doing it again. Um, so let me go and free my ambassadors, which is our frontline people. And when I say this, I don't want people to be offended, but 
I notice everything when worship goes on. So listen, if you do have a baby that you bring into worship, we're not outlawing children from the worship experience, but we do ask that you be mindful of the hundreds and thousands of people who are worshiping with you. And if perchance that baby gets a little fussy, which babies will do, they get fussy. Depends on the time of day. And one of our ambassadors comes to you to address it. Don't be offended. Just automatically know they are coming to not request or ask. But at that point, if an ambassador comes, we're asking that you would just simply leave to the designated spots to get everything under control. Does that make sense? I've seen some people kind of get offended. And I think my ambassadors don't feel empowered. So ambassadors, hear me tonight. If ambassador comes, it's not an ask you, are you okay? We're not asking you to get your baby together right there. If they come, it's to say it's time we need to go to a designated spot because we have a lot of other people here who deserve to have a distraction-free environment. Is that making sense? I've noticed over the last few weeks that I've been preaching, we've had some get a little fussy and have tried, and the people come to you, we get a little offended, and then we try to get the baby calm right there in worship, and it just takes a while. And maybe y'all don't see it, but from my vantage point, everyone looks to find out where the baby is. And it could be that very moment that God could be releasing a word that you needed to hear. And sometimes all it takes is a smallest of distractions. And so I may have to say it on Sunday because I think some people think it's an option. And if an ambassador comes to you, it's not an option. Is that making sense? It's literally, we're asking at this moment for us to come. If you just kindly come to a spot um, just to get that out of control, you can watch. We'll make sure we have everything for you. Is that making sense? I'm, I'm really, I hate to have to keep saying it, but it's only in our church. I mean, in the African-American church. Because if you go to other churches, the people that don't look like us, you ain't taking no baby in the sanctuary. Y'all think I'm playing, I'm dead serious. So I hope y'all ain't put this on streaming, but this is the truth. Uh, they probably are, so I'm going to get some feedback from this. We'll delete this part, but it's, it's true. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. <laughs> I'm serious. Like if you go to other churches of our light-skinned, really pale-skinned brothers and sisters, you, you ain't taking babies in there. They're going to already escort you to the nursery, children's church, and we have those options available. We do have them for that reason. Um, but I see it getting a little out of control, and, 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 and it's just different. It's a different baby. I, mean, I, don't, I ain't mad at the baby. They're they going to be fussy. It gets loud in church. It's a lot. There's a lot of sensory stuff that goes on in our worship, so I know that it can get kind of out of control. But I really want to empower ambassadors. So ambassadors, y'all listening in the back? Okay. Now, we're going to be nice when we do it. We're going to smile when we do it. We ain't going to be off the hook and be like, Pastor said, you know. <laughs> they love throw me under the bus every time. But, uh, but understand, honestly, my heart is I view worship as a learning moment. And tell me any other learning environment where distractions are permitted. Like, do you take your children in your business meeting on your job? When your professor's teaching at school, 
do, do they allow that in there? I'm just asking. I'm, I need some help because I ain't been to school in a long time. It's been a while for me. So, I mean, seriously, Dr. Brown, when they got to come in for your examination, are they bringing them in there with them? Yeah. Because those are moments of, and, and I view the sanctuary the same way. Does that make sense? And I just don't want to make sure. I just want to make sure. So, um, it's probably on streaming already. So, I'm, I'm probably, I don't went viral already on that stuff. But come on, let's stand. Get your gift together. Let's give liberally and cheerfully tonight. Leaders, look forward to seeing you tomorrow and Saturday, and we'll cap off on Sunday uh, with our thing. So um, um, that's just it. And y'all help us to police that, you know. That's part of it as well, you know. Um, and uh, we want to make sure that we're doing, we're doing our due diligence on that. I don't think I'm asking anything unreasonable, am I? Is it unreasonable? Y'all help me because I don't want to be mean. I've already been labeled I don't like babies. Pastor don't like babies. <laughs> really, I love kids. Come on, don't do that. And if I had children, they were fussy. I would be like, take that child out. Take little Trey out. <laughs> little Charles III, take him on out. Take him. And he got to ask. That's just it. Father, we thank you. We bless you. And tonight, uh, we ask that you would once again bless our gifts, bless our parting, but we never want to depart from your presence. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Lift up Santa Peter and me. Say, because I've been blessed going to be a blessing. Come on, give your gifts, God. Give liberally and cheerfully tonight. Give your best offering. You also have secure giving. Give the five. You don't have anything to